turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Uh, hit Psalm and go right. Psalms and uh, Proverbs chapter 14. Sunday morning studying the book of Proverbs topically. A series entitled um, Timeless Wisdom. Men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, just flag them and put, they'll put one in your hands. We'd like everybody to hear the Word, but also to read it with their own eyes. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that one a, a gift from the Lord uh, to you this morning. Just a reminder that on Sunday nights, we do go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, uh, currently studying the book of Acts, we'll continue that tonight in chapter 14 and uh, 6 o'clock, each of you are invited. Single verse here this morning that we'll be looking at, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive or quick to wrath exalts folly. Let's pray. Father, thank you, as we do so often and virtually always, for the privilege of being able to study your word, um, something that we do through the week, but to be able to come together and partake together as a church family. And we readily acknowledge the, the volume of the messages of the world, the noise of the world, like never before in human history, always at a ten and never resting in its effort to indoctrinate and in its effort to drown everything else out. And we thank you for this quiet place today to come aside and to hear your voice and your truth, which will never disappoint and will always do us good. We pray that you would open your word up to us this morning, that you would teach us, and that we wouldn't come in just to hear a sermon here today, but as we continue our service, to open your word up and to commune with you as we consider your truth this morning. And we ask for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week we studied some Proverbs having to do, uh, as Solomon uh, taught them by the Holy Spirit, having to do with self-control. In the next two weeks, we want to um, kind of drill down into a couple of areas that are specific in the book of Proverbs uh, uh, that are important for self-control to be exercised and which uh, Solomon enlarges uh, upon uh, to a great degree and so this morning we want to begin by looking at the subject this week uh, of wrath and anger. Uh, the danger that a lack of uh, self-control concerning carnal anger uh, is to each of us is on full display uh, every single day uh, before us. I don't know how many of you uh, read a newspaper uh, any longer, hard copy, uh, digital, whatever it might be. But there's a couple different ways that you can read a newspaper. Uh, one, we can just open it up and we can read it for the news that it contains. And that's a perfectly fine way to read a newspaper. But there's a deeper way uh, in which to read it and to realize that anything that we read in a newspaper is actually educational. And uh, everything that we will read in a newspaper is either is always proving the truthfulness of God's Word, the wisdom of His Word. It is a daily thing that is provided to us by the news media to show that when you violate God's commandments, it ends badly, and when you obey His commandments, it goes uh, well with us. And this is uh, uh, almost like uh, they're paid to do God's work by <laughs> some of uh, these, uh, these corporations. And so uh, we see all of this being brought forth. And, and to read it in that kind of a way, to read the newspaper in that kind of a way, is to find ourselves stopping regularly and saying, Lord, thank you so much 
for uh, your work in my life because, uh, as the old saying goes, but for the grace of God, there go I. Not looking down upon people that are caught in their sins or caught in the consequences of their sin and that kind of thing, but the recognition of the work that God's wisdom and his truth has done into our li- in our lives and recognizing the capacity that we have to do, uh, if not everything, virtually everything that we read somebody doing in a newspaper on a daily basis. And so it's never looking at these things in a, in a proud, condescending way, uh, but with humility and with gratitude. Paul wrote, beware when you think you stand, uh, lest you fall. But the instruction is uh, in, invaluable. Recent examples in the news in terms of the subject of uh, wrath and anger that a great, uh, c- communicate a great deal to us This last August, a 49-year-old Georgia man uh, became violent with a group of teenagers who came uh, at night uh, to his front door and uh, did the game of knock and run. Most of us have done that. uh, You didn't have a childhood almost as I was growing up if you didn't uh, get into at least that much mischief, but it was more harmless in those days. And so the the knock and and the run and... uh, and uh, and in response to this, he chased the uh, the use off of his property as he burst out the front door. Then he got into his vehicle and he began to pursue them through the streets. When he finally caught up to the kids, he tried to run them over with his car. And uh, unable to do that, he got out of the car and began to chase them on foot and was able to uh, collar one of the youth and he began to uh, choke him until a witness intervened and after which he then fled uh, the scene. And in less than 15 minutes in his life, he goes from a relatively normal person uh, at home uh, to committing acts under the influence of wrath and of anger, uh, committing multiple felonies and now facing several decades in prison uh, for those acts. When our reaction to something in life is disproportionate to uh, the stimulus Uh, the provocation, usually there are underlying uh, issues behind our reaction. Uh, A normal reaction to uh, a prank like that played on our front doorstep is not to try and uh, run the perpetrators down with a car and try to choke them uh, to death. If my wife were to um, serve me breakfast and eggs for, uh, for breakfast and put the plate in front of me at the dining table and the toast was burnt. And because the toast was burnt, I proceeded to pick up the plate full of food and throw it against the wall. That would be a disproportionate response uh, to burnt toast. A proportional response would be to ask for uh, some new toast that wouldn't uh, be as, uh, as burnt as that, uh, that was. And my disproportional response reveals that under the surface in my life, I'm upset about far more than just burnt toast. And living under the influence of carnal anger for a day, much less as is so often done now in our very angry culture, to live under the influence of anger as a lifestyle always keeps me very, very vulnerable to respond to some relatively minor provocation in life with anger and then with terrible, terrible and tragic consequences. In a similar incident in Southern California, a 16-year-old boy named Joshua, uh, he pressed the stranger's doorbell one night uh, playing the game of ring and run, and he did so because his sleepover friends had put him up to it. The man inside the house became so enraged uh, that uh, as Joshua and five other teenage boys piled into their car and uh, began to flee, he gave chase to them in his car. And upon catching up to them, he slammed into their car from behind at 99 miles an hour, forcing it off the road and into a tree, killing Joshua and two of his friends and injuring uh, the other 
uh, three. And this last April, the man was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder and uh, three counts of attempted murder. When he uh, endeavored to explain his actions in his own self-defense before the jury, uh, he told the jurors that he decided to chase the boys in order to, and I quote, express my anger. Well, there's a lot of different ways to express anger than what he did there. And I wonder how many people are in jail this morning all around the world because of some anger-related uh, crime because, uh, or because they, like so many in our culture, have um, settled into living a, a life, living life in a state of anger or in a state of wrath. Now, of course, anger won't take everyone to those kind of extremes and then result in those kind of tragedies, but it has, even its lesser consequences are tragic enough to cause any thinking person to slow down and to give serious consideration to the subject of anger. Uh, the destruction of marriages under the uh, uh, influence of anger, uh, the permanent damage that is done to children by uh, such a parent, uh, the being terminated from jobs and from employment under the influence of anger. And you think about how many people it's such a regular thing now in the news. It's a daily thing uh, in, in the news. Again, trying to speak to us. How many people have lost their jobs or they've lost the respect of virtually everyone uh, in their life uh, uh, through something written in anger and then posted on social uh, media? And so the Bible teaches that none of us should dismiss the uh, danger of acting in anger, no matter how spiritual we might consider ourselves to be or how uh, spiritually uh, mature we consider ourselves to be. Uh, we think of David in the Old Testament and how before he even became the king of Israel, his ministry, his legacy hardly beginning, and Nabal uh, insults him and not giving him uh, a lamb after David had done so much for him, and then, uh, and then insulted him in a way that just uh, caught David in the, the wrong way, and he calls for all of his men to mount up on their horses, to grab their weapons, and he is intent on the basis of that insult, to then go into Nabal's camp at the time of the shearing of the sheep, kill Nabal and his, all of the men in the camp. And thankfully, Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears about this, goes out, and with a soft answer, walks David back from that anger that would have destroyed his legacy before his legacy was even beginning. Moses is called in the Scripture the most uh, meekest man alive at the time uh, of his life. And yet he found himself so uh, upset with the children of Israel and uh, provoked by them that he took a, a staff and he smote the rock in his anger toward them a second time in contrary to God's instruction to merely speak to the rock as a type of, of Christ. And it was that explosion of anger in his life that ultimately disqualified him from uh, leading the children of Israel out of that wilderness wandering and into the promised uh, land. And so I think this subject of carnal anger and wrath, it gets the attention, of course, of all of us, especially as anyone can discern living in this culture today, uh, the, incre the increase in anger in our nation, uh, anger in our world. And given the fact that we are called by God to live for Him uh, in this uh, very much this cauldron of anger and wrath that, that marks the culture. It's important to understand what wrath and anger are as God speaks uh, about them in His Word. And, uh, and as Solomon is trying to communicate to us. 
If we go to the New Testament for a little fuller understanding of it, the two primary words that are used to describe anger and wrath, uh, Greek words in the, the original language of the New Testament, the first word that is used is the word thumos. And it speaks of an anger uh, that is very much a flash anger. It's an anger that arises very, very quickly. Uh, it lashes out and then almost as quickly um, it, it, uh, it flashes uh, back and comes and ceases. And we would talk about such a person as being a hot-headed uh, person. The other word that is used in the New Testament is the Greek word orge. And orge speaks of a wrath or an anger that is uh, very deeply settled in our life. It is a settled state of anger, and it speaks of a silent anger. So there is this deep brooding anger that just sits inside uh, of a person and often uh, because of some perceived wrong that has been done toward us. Uh, the deep brooding anger that a husband uh, can come to live with related to his wife or a wife toward her husband or uh, uh, someone toward their neighbor or a co-worker or a boss or law enforcement or anyone else in a position of authority uh, within the culture or a person of a different political party or uh, po political position and so forth. The list is uh, virtually endless. And it is... Uh, this orge, wrath and anger, it is uh, patient in comparison to thumos, uh, but it is not limitless uh, in its patience. And when this anger goes off, uh, there, there will be a living hell to, prep, to pay because it will not flash and then immediately uh, recede. It will take a very long time in expressing the fullness uh, of orge in a situation. And if we think uh, any of us sit here this morning and we sit under this abiding anger and resentment uh, in our lives and think that we have it under control because we never allow it to flash uh, to uh, uh, the surface, Solomon tells us and the whole Bible tells us that we are only uh, kidding ourselves. It will express itself uh, sometime. Now, in all of this, it's important to realize that the Bible teaches, uh, the Bible doesn't teach that all anger is sin or all anger is wrong. Now, there is sinful anger, but there is also what the Bible, what is referred to as a, a righteous anger. For instance, we see a righteous anger continually in Jesus' life and his, uh, his, his public ministry, where he takes, at the beginning of his public ministry, the end of his public ministry, he clears the temple uh, of the money changers, those that were turning the temple into a den of thieves and a house of merchandise, bringing money, making money, bringing animals up into the temple, into places they had no long reason at all to be there and completely misrepresenting what God is about and his heart for his people, what the temple was to be about. So in a righteous anger, he clears it uh, twice. Uh, there's the incident with him all the way up in the north of Israel in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum where the uh, Jewish religious leaders have kind of uh, brought in as a prop uh, a, a man who has a withered hand. Uh, it's paralyzed. He can't use it. And they bring him in not to invite him to synagogue, uh, and, uh, not to make the synagogue a place where someone with this kind uh, of a need in their life would be able to find comfort and, and hope and perspective in God. They put him in there knowing that Jesus would come in on that Sabbath. Sabbath day service and to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day and then have an occasion to accuse him. And Jesus, when he realizes that whole dynamic, that the dynamic, the spiritual dynamic of, a, of the synagogue has been hijacked in this way by these Jewish religious leaders, he then looked at them and spoke to them uh, in a righteous anger and then proceeded to heal 
the man. In terms of God the Father, the Old Testament is filled with expressions of his righteous anger. We think of the anger that he um, expressed at Aaron and the children of Israel when they made uh, that golden calf. Uh, God continually Uh, expressed his righteous anger toward the children of Israel at their continual disobedience to his commandments, to their continual idolatry uh, in that Old Testament history. And even we, the Bible uh, declares as Christians, are called to express righteous anger in life, but we're to make sure that we don't sin in doing so. So righteous anger is expressed in a way that there is not a sin that is committed in expressing it. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. So if there a, is a sinful anger and a righteous anger, and there is, how in the world do we tell the difference between the two uh, in, our, in our lives? Generally, uh, righteous anger occurs when we see something uh, 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 unrighteously being done to God, to his reputation, or some act of unrighteousness is being done to another person, to our fellow uh, man. And, uh, and righteous anger is almost always other-centered toward God and toward Uh, our fellow man. Generally, sinful anger is a selfish anger. Uh, When I get angry at others uh, or my circumstances because of how they affect me. Why did this have to happen uh, to me? How could they have uh, do that uh, to me? And when I get angry because things don't go uh, exactly as I want them to go, or people don't do things exactly the way that I uh, want them to do, uh, do things. When I'm inconvenienced, when, when others fail to realize what is so clear to me, that I am the single most important person in the world, and that their role in their life is to just simply provide context for the great drama that is, uh, is my uh, uh, life and their failure to uh, recognize that. And almost always, uh, if self plays a major part in it, then my anger is carnal and sinful. Solomon's insights in his instruction concerning anger um, holds your place there in Proverbs chapter 14, but we want to go back uh, uh, forward to Proverbs chapter 6 verse 32, which we looked at in part uh, last week, but not completely in terms of this uh, subject. Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit uh, better than he who takes a city. And here Solomon reminds us that anger is, uh, is never a sign of strength in our lives, but it's always a, a sign uh, of weakness. Anyone can get carnally anger, angry. It requires no effort on us at, at all in order to, uh, to do that. Uh, but the strong person is the one who can control their uh, anger. So we live in a culture where the angry person is so often made the theme of a song or the theme of a book in which their anger is extolled as a way of getting things done in life, movies, entertainment, all of this kind of uh, of. of of thing in order to try and uh, convince us that, uh, that, uh, that, that anger is not a weakness. And uh, I think that it would be good if we reminded ourselves each time we get sinfully angry, uh, this is not a strength in my life, it is a sign uh, of weakness. And it's important, this is a weakness, this is weakness uh, in me, and to address it. And, and, and to help us come out from under the indoctrination of the world around us and uh, the deceitfulness of our own hearts that finds a way to justify it uh, or to rationalize it or to even portray it as, as something uh, that is good in our lives. Back to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. 
He who was slow to wrath, that is slow-tempered, has great understanding. But he who is impulsive, that is, has a quick temper, they lack self-control, exalts folly. So this proverb protects us from the self-deception of coming to believe that our anger stems supremely from the failures of other people rather than realizing that it is a problem within ourselves. And while other people and circumstances can be a cause of anger in our life, the solution will not be found in straightening out every other person in my life or every other person uh, in the world, but the solution will come in controlling my own anger. This proverb also teaches that carnal anger inevitably leads to foolish uh, words, to foolish actions, always leads to regret in life because it will almost always cause us under carnal anger to take things too far in our words, uh, too far in our actions. Uh, One translation of uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, uh, has it this way. He who is quick-tempered does stupid things. Now, that's a Bible for me translation right there. That is, anger makes us stupid. There's a Latin proverb that talks about the fact that as long as we are under the influence of carnal anger, we are in a state of insanity uh, in in speaking of of the danger uh, of it. And so often today in our our culture, the person that exercises grace or self-control is viewed as the weak person and, and anger is always the evidence of strength. But Solomon says, don't you believe it? Anger will always make a fool of us. It will always end up making a fool uh, of us. Once we begin to deal with a person or a situation out of sinful anger, uh, when we uh, cease to uh, be constructive in fixing the problem, we only make a bigger mess of everything, as most of us know from our own experience. So very wisely, James writes in his epistle, James chapter 1, verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Carnal anger is never God's way of solving uh, anything and certainly not solving problems. My carnal anger will always mess up what God is trying to do in this situation and will only make things even worse. And so God says, I don't need the help. It's of no help to me uh, at, 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 at all. And, and the, uh, the only question in terms of carnal anger, the only question is to what degree will it mess up what God is trying uh, to do. When I react in anger to a situation, my motivation now is no longer uh, what it should be as a Christian, and that is a desire to be redemptive uh, in the situation supremely. But now, when I become angry, what has become more important to me than anything uh, is to express my uh, flesh. And Solomon tells us that it's a wise person that skips that step of expressing their flesh and instead controls their anger in order to be uh, a redemptive influence uh, right from the start. We'll use the remainder of our time just looking at some of the solutions to anger that Solomon gives us by the Holy Spirit in the book of Proverbs and that we find elsewhere uh, in the scriptures. And so, um, I'm, uh, we're going to examine uh, some of these things that uh, are solutions to carnal anger and, uh, and, and uh, deal with each, each solution very, very briefly. I will depend upon your rich preacher-like minds. 
to go ahead and expand them out to how they would apply uh, to uh, our own uh, lives. One of the things about Pro- the book of Proverbs is on any given subject, uh, the book of Proverbs is rarely exhaustive on a subject, but it is always helpful. And so when we address a subject from the book of Proverbs, we can rarely be exhaustive uh, unless we want uh, this series to bog down more than it might already be. Uh, but uh, but it, it can all, always be helpful uh, in, in our lives, and that's what we want to see happen here today. The first step in uh, solutions to anger uh, would be to stop making excuses for carnal anger uh, in our lives, uh, to stop and acknowledge it uh, as sin, and to acknowledge it as something uh, that uh, God views as a sin, to acknowledge it as something that needs to be repented of, and, and to acknowledge and to recognize it to be not only a sin, but an extraordinarily uh, dangerous sin uh, in, in our lives. Second, to every time we come under the influence of carnal anger or wrath, to stop and then confess it as a sin to God and to ask for uh, his forgiveness related to that uh, sin. And when a person will develop as a lifestyle concerning anger or any sin, but anger this morning, will stop and each time there's an expression of it in our lives to stop, confess it to God and as a sin and ask for his forgiveness, that's the characteristic of someone who understands the seriousness of uh, this sin, the danger of this sin uh, in our lives and in any uh, life. It keeps us from ever kind of uh, adopting uh, a place where we become uh, comfortable with it as a lifestyle. Every time we are forced to confess it as sin to God and ask for forgiveness, uh, it upsets or uh, it, it disrupts our ability to ever get comfortable with it in our lives, uh, Christian or non-Christian. It also keeps us aware of the frequency with which this sin occurs in our lives. And that's very, very helpful. Sometimes people can look and say, well, you know, I have a problem with such and such in terms of a, of a sin and just speak of it uh, generally, but have uh, no consciousness of uh, how massive the foothold uh, that particular sin has taken in their lives. But when we commit to confess that sin to God and ask for his forgiveness, it's not like we're enlightening him on the foothold in our lives, but we come to realize, I have a real problem here. This is something that's deeply ingrained uh, in my life, and it's something that's dangerous and I need to uh, address. And uh, that uh, frequency... Uh, uh, brings that front and center in a way that very little else does. Third, to commit without exception, no exception in our life. Say, I commit to this, Lord, by your grace, to asking for the forgiveness of anyone and everyone I sin against with my wrath and with my uh, anger. Whether that anger is a flash of anger Uh, that is meted out upon them, or whether it's that kind of silent brooding anger uh, that we we inflict others uh, others with. And what this does in confessing our sin to others and asking for their forgiveness is it means and it communicates that I am taking responsibility for my own sins and responsibility for my own actions. I am saying to the other person, whatever the provocation might have been in my life, that in this regard, in terms of the expression of anger, that I recognize this is my problem, and it is not your problem, and that my problem is with anger, and it's not with you in this regard. And it keeps a relationship uh, healthy, 
while uh, moving forward into victory in this, it also makes me aware uh, uh, and, and takes all manner of excuses out of my hand for blaming everybody else for this issue of anger in my life. The other thing that it does that's absolutely invaluable is this confessing of our sin to others and asking for their forgiveness related to any sin but related to anger is it sets up a very strong deterrence in my life uh, to doing it again. And when I confess my sin to others and I ask uh, 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 that I've committed against them, I ask for their forgiveness, and when that becomes a characteristic of my life, then when I'm tempted to become angry or to say or do something uh, under the influence of anger, I stop myself and I'll tell myself, I, do I really want to confess this sin and then ask for their forgiveness right on the other side of this expression uh, of, uh, of anger? And pretty soon, we will come to conclude in our own lives that the humiliation, the wonderful, needed humiliation that's involved in confessing our sin and asking for forgiveness uh, is, will not be worth the expression of anger. And then uh, to, uh, the importance of making this issue of anger a matter of daily prayer, which means a matter of daily conversation with God. Uh, if this is something that is a, a big issue in my life, or even a minor issue, to just each morning ask God to help us overcome this sin of anger. You might remember that the closing line in what is called the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaching the disciples uh, how to pray and what a model prayer of ours would be on a daily basis. The final line in that prayer is us saying to God, and lead us not into temptation, which includes anger, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And as we ask God specifically to help us with the sin of anger that day, in the day that is right uh, in front of us, then we head out into the day with a, a, a greater awareness of anger uh, uh, cropping up in our lives than we would otherwise have without that conversation with God uh, to, begin, uh, to begin the day and to recognize that there is a spiritual warfare element to all of this, that this is the devil, uh, it's my own flesh, but yes, the devil is using it to keep me tripped up uh, continually, and I'm going to go out in a world, especially in this culture, there's going to be a constant provocation to my anger and to be prepared for that in conversation with God before I head out, uh, out uh, the door. And then also to spend time uh, processing anger in a, in a meaningful way, a deep way uh, in my life, to talk with God in prayer about the things that feed anger in our lives, to talk with God not only about the sources of anger in our lives, but why those things make us so angry. Why in these other areas of my life can I just blow that off? And why in these areas of life am I constantly throwing the bacon and eggs against the wall? Why is it, God? He's called a wonderful counselor because he is. And if we ask him these questions and we just talk through and talk through the ongoing conversation with him, ultimately he begins to reveal what it is that is behind the anger, the symptoms, the symptoms but also lying at the core of, of the anger that is uh, in, uh, in our our lives. And God is the safest person in the world to talk to about any and all sin in our lives. God will never react with shock and horror uh, as we bring any sin to him, or certainly not anger. And the reason he cannot react in shock and horror is because there's nothing about our lives that surprises him. 
If we tell the average person, this is what I think or this is what I am, they might be mortified and run from the room. God doesn't do that ever. And God is absolutely confidential in, these, uh, in, in this conversation that occurs with him in prayer, even with a lifetime of communication with him. None of us have ever spoken to God about anything in our lives privately and confidentially and had that come around a back door and hear about it through somebody else. Just does not happen. And so he's a safe place to go. Nobody loves us more than he loves us. Nobody is for us more than he is uh, for us. And he will do what people who love us most in life will rarely do, and that is he will tell us the truth. He'll tell us the truth about uh, what it is that that here, this is what you're like, and this is what uh, you're holding in your heart. You want to get rid of anger, but you don't want to address uh, those issues. And he'll tell us the truth about our lives. And he'll make things clear in a way that can be very uncomfortable, but is healthy and, and is invaluable to have someone who loves us the way that God does, but will always be truthful with us about any issue in our life, including anger. Fifth, often anger is a signal that we need to become better communicators. Uh, Some people are, in a way, they are, we are such poor communicators that the only communication happens is when we're pushed so far and then finally we just unload everything we've been saying and thinking for weeks or for months. That's not good communication. Anger is not a means of of communication, certainly not a healthy means at all or a godly means. And so to learn how to communicate, to learn how to resolve problems with other people rather than just exploding in anger or just seething in anger and all of it just makes things worse, to try and cultivate understanding with the other person. It is amazing what sources of anger in our lives can be resolved with a single conversation with the other person, with just simple communication rather than seething in in anger. And again, time prevents us here from being exhaustive related to this, but only to be helpful. But if this is a thing where you look at yourself and you say, all of my life, I have only communicated in anger. I don't know how to be redemptive in a situation. I don't know how to carry on a productive conversation to bring a conflict to a proper end. I don't know how to do it then just make an appointment with one of the pastors during the week and come in and allow that to be discussed in a, in a longer level, in a different, in a different kind uh, of way. But do get the help uh, that you need, and we would love to try and help you. Number six, because carnal anger is usually deeply rooted in selfishness or selfism, that's massively uh, uh, present in our, our culture uh, because uh, anger is deeply rooted in pride, deeply rooted in a sense of, of self-entitlement in my life, uh, that uh, these things, they will uh, make me think that it's okay to treat people in this way in my life. Pride and, and self-entitlement will make me think that it's okay to subject people this way, to treat people this way, to subject them uh, to uh, my uh, anger and to cry out, out to the Lord, Lord, I, I don't like this about myself. I don't like my pride. I don't like my short fuse. I don't, I don't like this sense of entitlement entitlement in me. I hate the fact that, the, that I think I can actually talk to a loved one in this way or talk to a stranger uh, in this way. And would you help me with my selfishness and my hypersensitivity? In that same vein, 
it's important to ask God to produce humility in our lives and uh, to ask God to break this self-absorption that is a part of, of all of our lives it, that is so often at the core of uh, every uh, shortcoming or uh, failure in, in other, others' dealings with me, my noticing all of it so quickly or when they fail or they fall short in some kind of a, an area in my life, I take it personally. Uh, it's a personal affront and insult uh, to me. And then next to ask God to help us grow in love for others. Paul wrote of the agape love that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives as Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He wrote, love suffers long and is kind, is patient. Uh, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. And then here it is, is not provoked and thinks no evil. For a love that is patient with people to ask God for it, with even their shortcomings, and uh, which keeps no account of other people's wrongs. And that's one of the definitions that Paul gives us there in the love that God brings into our lives is it does not keep an account of the shortcomings or the failures of the wrongs uh, of, of other people. And uh, to ask God for a love that is patient with uh, with people that doesn't keep a, a record of wrongs the way that our flesh is prone to do, uh, just as God uh, does with us. All, uh, the expression of all carnal anger uh, is a violation of uh, love. Next, not all self-awareness is bad. Uh, it's helpful in addressing uh, anger in our lives by remembering that every single one of us have probably done worse in our treatment of other people than 99% of what anyone does to us in the course of a day. We have done every bit as much that is bad and worse to provoke anger in other people than others will ever do in our lives by and large. And to remember that generally, we are not very different from other people. And how many people have had to show grace and patience uh, toward us in our own immaturity, in our own carnality in the course uh, of, of our lives. To stop and to remember that, to say nothing of what God shows us in this regard, but what other people have shown us in our lives, and then to be quick to extend that grace that we already have an experience with from other people, to extend that grace uh, to other people as well. Uh, the old saying concerning the two ingredients of humility, sometimes people say, you know, I, uh, uh, you know somebody can say to somebody, you, you need humility. Oh, boy, this is going to be a, a big complicated thing. I mean, is I was going to say two years of counseling or what is it going to be? No, no, it's quite a bit simpler than that. Somebody put it uh, 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 very succinctly by saying humility is really made up of two things, honesty and a good memory. And all of us have enough in our past to keep us humble in the face of virtually all treatment of other people uh, toward us. I remember one time there was a man in my life, and this guy was uh, uh, like this on steroids. He saw every fault in everyone and kept a log of it in his mind. One of the problems was he couldn't see of one fault in his own life. So this combination, his life was just this endless stream 
of complaining and being angry at everyone. And finally, I I just kind of blurted out of my mouth as I was listening to him uh, do this for the umpteenth time. And I I said to him, uh, uh, I made a mistake once. And the idea of you never made a mistake in your life, you know nothing about this related to, to your life. In that same vein, to change is a solution, our attitude toward others from expecting perfection, is, uh, perfection from them to expecting people to be very much less than perfect in our lives. And that they're going to be that all day and they're going to be that uh, uh, every day just like we are. Again, we go back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And here's the, the constant reminder, a daily reminder, that just as fully and as generously as God extends grace and forgiveness to us, uh, then we are a debtor to extend it to others. And I think that as Proverbs bears out, much anger in our lives is resolved in just the development of a forgiving spirit within us. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to punch someone in the nose. No, it isn't that. His glory is to overlook a transgression. Another thing that's helpful uh, to do if I'm prone to anger is to deliberately and purposefully to limit my exposure to anger-provoking stimuli in, in, my, uh, in my life, whether it is the news media, whether it is social media, whether it is internet sites, whether it is the gossip mill that surrounds every family and every neighborhood and every uh, workplace in our relationships with other people, there are so many angry voices today sitting in front of a microphone or a camera or in front of a keyboard who are eager to influence us with their uh, anger and to infect us. And Solomon wrote, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife. In other words, it is contagious. Anger is. It is not a matter of it might be. It always is. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 Make no friendship with an angry man, even by means of technology. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Allow me just a couple more points here uh, uh, this morning, uh, because not to be melodramatic, but I don't know that within the sound of my voice in this room or beyond, if this message isn't intend, intended to save someone from incarceration in the near future, from a jail sentence or a prison sentence, or if God is trying to save marriages uh, within the sound of my voice this morning, or trying to save the innocent life of another person from becoming a victim of our, of, 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 uh, our anger, And so the next to last point is to realize that it's a very bad sign when I start to call other people names, Uh, to call people, as Jesus said uh, in in his teaching, to call someone raka, to call someone a fool, or to call them an idiot, to call them a moron. Whether I say it to their face or whether I say it behind their back. When Jesus prohibited uh, this kind of name-calling in the Sermon on the Mount, the context in which he tells us not to verbalize in this way or call people names in this way, the context is avoiding murder. 
Now, that's fascinating, isn't it? He's not talking supremely about name-calling. He's saying name-calling is a step quite down the path to one day engaging in, in uh, murder. And so this kind of name-calling is an indication that I'm already well down the path to losing control one day, and it's a word to the wise. And then finally, just the importance of to continue to grow spiritually as Christians and the importance of, uh, which means to grow more and more like Christ as, as a Christian. Jesus could have spent all 33 and a half years of his public ministry in perpetual anger and wrath and been justified in doing so and yet he didn't. In fact, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all you who, are la- all you who labor and are heavy laden, including under the weight of, of anger, and I will give you rest. It's found in a relationship. Above everything else, it's found in that relationship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Anger in our lives declines to the degree that we grow in our relationship with Jesus. It declines to the the degree of our exposure to Him. And our exposure to his influence within our uh, lives to the degree that he becomes the greatest influence in my life. And anger or any other sin in our lives, it is always a means by which it is being made known to us that uh, we need to continue to grow more and more like Jesus and to spend more time under his um, influence in his company, and as a result under his influence. It'll almost be hopeless if I tap into six hours of angry social media and angry talk radio, for example, and I'm not putting down either side related uh, to it, and then I spend three minutes with him every day. He's not going to be, he is not going to be the influence that he's intended to be in a Christian's life. And so to weigh this, what kind of influence do I give him in my life? By what kind, how much time do I spend talking with him? How much time do I spend sowing to the Spirit, worship, Bible study, these kind of, of things in which we, we meet with him in, in the midst of, of all of this? And so it happens as we grow in our relationship with him, because as we grow in that relationship, he's making us more and more uh, like him, and then it is always for anger, among other things, to become diminished as an influence in our lives. It always, always comes back to our relationship with him. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, and anger is destroying your life, and uh, or well on its way to destroying your life, where things begin for you in, in terms of uh, conquering this sin that will destroy you, as well as any other sin in life, is for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, turn from your sins, trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, as God calls us to, the Holy Spirit will come into your life. An entirely new nature will come into your your life. You'll be born again by the Holy Spirit and now begin a relationship with God in which He will take you down an entirely different uh, path. If you sit here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you say, listen, I, I have a lot of problems in life, but anger like this isn't, uh, isn't one of them, that's fine. Once again, that you still need to deal with your sin. 
and the affront that our sin is to God and the necessity of our sin being forgiven in order for us to have a relationship with God and that solution, the only solution being offered by trusting in Christ. And so for you to come to know the Lord here this morning, your need for the forgiveness, His forgiveness of sins. And there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that that relationship with God that you've been created for. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word on this subject in our lives. You see uniquely in all of the world the terrible, terrible damage that is done through carnal wrath and carnal anger, the terrible, terrible consequences of it. We see just a glimpse of it, Lord, but what we see is enough to make us realize that unheeded, to allow anger to dominate our lives, to lose control on that kind of a level can cause us to do things that we would regret for the rest of our lives. And so we embrace your word on this subject today. We pray that this truth would not come to us in word only, but in the demonstration of your spirit and your power that it wouldn't be received in any of our lives just merely as a sermon, but as your voice to us, your voice of wisdom, your voice of love, and your voice of protection in our lives. And that with this truth, Lord, that you would come alongside us and walk us out of the danger zone, that this kind of anger is in our lives. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.